mega projects. What are they? They're also called major programs. They're large scale, they're complex, their budgets are typically more than 1 billion US dollars. They take many years to build. They involve multiple public and private stakeholders. They're transformational. They impact millions of people. They are what you would define as mega. They are completely a completely different breed of a project in terms of their objectives, lead times, complexity, stakeholder involvement, Consequently, they require a special and different type of project manager, just like you wouldn't want somebody without a driver's license to drive a truck across country. You would not want a conventional program manager managing a mega project, which is why we dig into in this week's episode exactly what is a mega project? What does it entail? What is the level of effort that's involved? And we have Dakota White joining us to talk about her very first mega project. Check it out. Welcome to the Everyday PM podcast, the podcast where we discuss project management principles for your everyday life. My name is Ann Campia, and I'm a certified project slash program manager with a decade of experience working for health, healthcare, retail, consumer goods, and tech industries. I'm so excited to welcome Dakota White, who is a project manager for uh, Loma Linda University Health, which is located here in Loma Linda, California, for those who are not familiar with Southern California. Um, her emphasis is on campus transformation. So we're going to talk a little bit about her experiences there. Um, and for those who are not familiar with the actual Loma Linda University Health or their uh, medical campuses, uh, they are really largely known for their clinical programs in the U.S., um, and specifically in areas like neonatal care and outpatient surgery. So those are really what they are recognized for even worldwide. They're in, an international leader in infant heart transplantation and proton treatments for cancer. So that's a lot. <laughs> so just to emphasize what Dakota does and her role there and what Loma Linda means to a lot of people in the U.S. and just globally is just phenomenal. So Dakota, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here. Please take a brief moment to introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you, Anne. Um, as, as you mentioned, my name is Dakota White, and I am currently a project manager at Loma Linda University Health. I'm specifically employed through our medical center. Um, the overall entity and institution of Loma Linda has a few different branches under the broader umbrella. Um, so I am on the university hospital side. I have been employed with Loma Linda since 2016 um, as originally a management resident, which is a two-year leadership development program. And for the last three years, I have served in an official project management capacity. Well, wow, that's fantastic. And such a great way to kind of swing into the role and, and to really get acclimated with, with Loma Linda, I would imagine. I, I don't know too much about that program, but it sounds like instead of kind of just starting cold, getting the job and starting the next day uh, yeah. and saying, here's our company, here's our culture, here's your role and learn everything right away. That right. sounds like a nice way to kind of swing into this type of role, would you say? Absolutely. I think it definitely lended itself to allowing me 
more flexibility and um, opportunity to be honest, to ask some of the questions that new hires may be nervous to ask, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was a leadership development program. There was an emphasis, especially with us being an academic medical center, um, an emphasis around the learning aspect of the job and the culture of the institution as a whole. So I took advantage of being able to ask what some would consider the dumb questions in meetings um, because I had, you know, that leniency per se. I'm just being someone who was new to the institution and wanted to understand um, the inner workings of you know, our culture, um, the everyday work life, and what Loma Linda was striving to work towards. Well, that's wonderful advice. I think right off the bat, Dakota shares such wonderful advice in terms of, um, you know, even if you are entering into a non-project manager role, Mm -hmm. take the opportunity when you're new. I always call it, play the new card. And, and ask those questions. And I think that that sounds like such a great opportunity for you. And now being a project manager there, officially titled there and into this full-time role, we're going to dig into your experiences, but specifically for today's podcast, we are talking about mega projects. Yes. And I can't tell you, Dakota, how many times people have asked me to talk about this subject. Mm-hmm. However, I'm, I don't think I'm the subject matter expert here. You know, projects that I work on are typically within seasons because I'm working on launching products or, or launching, you know, stores or things like that, where you have very dedicated seasons, uh, parts of the year where you're launching specific new innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can only, that, that timeline sometimes 12, 18 months, sometimes two years, when we talk about mega project in my mind, and I'm going to ask you for how you define it in my mind, it's a lot of years. It's a lot of budgets. It's yes. a lot of, lot of PMs, not just one PM. And there, it, the impact is massive. So right. that's how I envision it in my head. But Dakota, since you are somebody who now is experienced on working on a mega project, please let us know how you define it. I would say all of the above. Um, the The scope of work for us, it, it did expand over um, a multi-year period. Um, I believe it was actually about seven to 10 years that we were in the building phase, planning phase, revision phase, um, mm-hmm. you know, having numerous um, site analyses with, you know, our loads of steel relative to the floor and what would be on certain floors in terms of equipment and things like that. Um, I actually assisted with two of the bond financings for this project. Um, It was not something that we paid for all out of our own capital budget. Um, So we did go through bond financing. The university went through their own because our water plant, our power plant is what we call it, actually supports the load of the hospital. So they had to go through their own bond financing and then the hospitals went through their own separate as well. And so I helped with one of the universities and one of the medical centers prior to being in this position um, as a project manager in an official capacity. Okay. Um, Then when I started in this role, it was towards the tail end of the project. Um, So as I had mentioned, there were numerous years um, prior to me actually joining the project team to operationalize the space. So I came in um, the last 19 months or so. So I started in this role January of 2020. 
and I was specifically responsible for the inpatient nursing units that would move into the building. But when we talk about a mega project, you know, for us, it was the length of time that the project spanned, the budget that we had, so the mm -hmm. amount of money that we had to finance to support the new build, and also the size of the building. So we have just over a million square feet of new hospital space. That is huge. So in the state of California, we are actually one of the larger buildings um, in the world. We are one of um, few buildings that sit on um, base isolators that are able to move with the earth mm -hmm. when there is an earthquake. So in terms of size, scope, budget, we are one of few right now in the country that have kind of met what we call the threshold for what is classified as a mega project. Oh, that's such a great example. And it, it paints perfectly kind of the size of the prize, right? And, and the word mega, you don't use that often. So when I do hear it, I think <laughs> massive. And it does sound like this project was massive. And so um, I want to set the tone for our audience because you said you started really going into full swing in 2020 of um what's that last year yes. pandemic pandemic mind you know you don't know what time it is or what year it is anymore but let's remember that it is a pandemic uh we are still in a pandemic and so yes. here's this mega project that falls on your plate you knew it was coming all along covid hits mm -hmm. uh i'm imagine there there's some limitations that you know that came with uh can you talk a little bit about the environment that you're entering into you know amidst the pandemic and and, and everything else that was going on in the world absolutely so at the point in time in which i started on the project um we were just entering into what we called um in conjunction with yellow brick they were our consulting firm on the project um workflow planning so it was very, very crucial for us to meet with numerous stakeholders um, across the adult and children's hospitals to understand what the new workflows for the building would look like based on a change in layout, um, potentially different types of equipment, um, really just the expansiveness of the space and how much it has increased our um, patient care footage um, in regards to where we work, where our code response teams will end up and things along those lines. So for us um, at that point, it was very crucial to identify, okay, what are some of the most important topics that we needed to focus on to get as much input and buy-in from stakeholders as possible. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, when we started the workflow planning sessions, COVID had just started. I believe um, New York had, had been hit the hardest um, in January. So California, at that point, we were still okay to do in-person meetings. Um, so we really capitalized on that and hit the ground running. So we right. had um, numerous sessions, breakout sessions with different groups for different topics. So anything from code responses to non-medical code responses, what would the paths of travel look like for dirty waste versus patients um, and mm -hmm. staff coming in and out of the building? So just a number of things that we had to really meet with our internal team members to focus on. 
And so we had those sessions that Yellow Brick let out in um, and definitely provided invaluable information and input based on their own experiences. Um, so our first set was January through March and then March hits when we have the stay at home orders, <laughs> we have to figure out you know, what we're going to do for the second round of workflow planning sessions, yeah. which for us was going to be between March and June. Um, my coworker, Liz, who was also a project manager um, on the operations team, she was responsible for the first phase. So I say she was a little fortunate in that um, there were fewer barriers that we had to work around um, for the first phase of workflow planning, just because we were still able to meet in person and not limit the number of attendees. Um, but when we reached that second round and our team actually between March and May had to work from home. So at that point, we not only are not on site for about two months, we have completely gone to Skype and Zoom and virtual meeting options. So a lot of what I had to focus on during you know, those initial months of the pandemic really hitting California the hardest was how do I best utilize my time, others' time, knowing that we've all kind of had to figure out this new normal mm -hmm. um, in the midst of treating patients, you know, because right. we're working with mostly clinical care providers. So they're trying to find a way to support their teams best and also make themselves available for, you know, the ultimate goal of, of opening up the new hospital. Mm -hmm. So um, I try to utilize as best as possible the virtual meeting options, um, sending out very frequent and intentional communication via email. Um, I provided my cell phone number to a number of people just so that they knew that they had access to me. Um, and then when possible, which was few and far between in those first few months, when possible, I would try and come on site um, to meet with people if I needed to, obviously um, following the precautions that, that we needed to have in place. Um, so for those workflow planning meetings at the midpoint of last year, we were able to get approval to have some of the sessions in person, but we had to completely <laughs> um, restrict the number of individuals that were able to come as opposed to the first set that we had. So if on average, we would say the first set of workflow planning sessions that we had, we there were maybe 60 people. For this second set, we were looking at 10 to 12. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, and so we had to identify and really be intentional about which department representatives did we need there in person, which could we have on um, online. So we did still have the virtual option available for others to call into, but which decision makers were key in being there in person that could provide timely responses and give us guidance so that we did not lose any traction, right? Because yeah. at that point we're like, okay, no, we're still moving next year. So we've, we still have to figure it out. And so I think just trying to manage in person as best as possible with the parameters that we had to follow, um, social distancing, the mask mandate, um, and just making sure that we were in big open rooms, um, in addition to also utilizing technology to help us loop in other team members for department representatives was something that was a challenge. Um, yeah. But I think that we navigated the situation as best we could. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like, again, I, I like that you use the word intentional. And I think that's really important to call out to the people who are listening and that 
oftentimes we communicate with urgency or we communicate right. just to over communicate or perhaps there's no intention in our communication sometimes. It's right. just to say, just to show that we've responded. Um, and I think I, I love that you use that word, word throughout your kind of depiction of what you had to go through in the pandemic because you really, it really put into perspective uh, the limitations that we can work under. And it kind of helped us as project managers in, in many ways to prioritize what is important. And to Absolutely. your point, what's intentional. And I, I like the fact that you still carried through with this tremendous amount of communication and coordination that it sounded like you had to go through to right. make sure the appropriate stakeholders stayed in the loop. I like the, the example of, of having just the decision makers in the room. Yeah. Um, everyone else could participate, which is, yeah. it still keeps them in the loop, but having the actual decision makers in the room, that's, that's very important. Um, right. And in person too. talk a little bit about why in person for, for the decision makers was that, uh, I know you said it's intentional, but can you describe a little bit more of how you thought about um, that coordination? Absolutely. So as part of the workflow planning sessions, we had a lot of material that was printed. Um, we, we did provide the printed material online in an electronic format for those that would call in or be invited to the virtual sessions. But we had huge maps, um, probably five by four feet maps um, of different floors or different paths of travel that we wanted people to be able to physically walk up to, see it in a different scale other than on their computer. Um, right. We also had printed materials that, so whenever we had a visual representation, we also had a representation with words, right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. people pick up or learn in different ways. So we had a number of printed material that we wanted individuals to be able to put their hands on, to be able to see in person, um, because a lot of times at that stage in the project, um, which was still 100% a construction zone, there, right. there was difficulty for people to understand the scale of what we were talking to them about, maybe even difficulty understanding the distance from point A to point B, and how does this impact my team? Does that new distance require me to request more FTEs because it will take mm -hmm. longer? Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of the reason we still wanted to have people in person for those sessions, just so that we could walk them through anything that maybe they were laying their eyes on um, in a bigger format. Um, because at that point, we were most familiar with the building from a floor plan perspective um, on a computer to actually walking the site with having no drywall, but just wall mm -hmm. studs, you know, yeah. so I think um, being able to be there with them in person allowed us the opportunity to maybe explain things that they had questions about, but also visually point it out um, physically to them so that it kind of closed the gap a little bit. Um, and so I think that's why for us, we elected to go the route of requesting approval to have, you know, a small number of people there in person, just because it helped to facilitate the conversation, mm -hmm. keep things going and limit I think the challenge that up until that point, 
we had faced with people not maybe necessarily understanding the scale or the scope of what we were talking about. And because we had to move forward, it was important that we had those decision makers there or a proxy for them if, if they were not able to make it, but somebody who could come in and help us continue moving forward as opposed to um, maybe getting hung up on some of the smaller things or mm-hmm. maybe not being able to visualize what it was we were talking about. It's so impactful, that, that description. And I think uh, uh, it, it's best attributed to, you know, if you can go walk up to your, um, in your everyday lives, if you could go walk up to your neighbor and ask them a question right. rather than have to try to write them a letter or call them or, you know, do something where exactly. uh, it's just a little bit more effective in person. And the way you've described it absolutely makes sense that it was mission critical in many ways to have at least those key stakeholders there to right. see what you were talking about. I love that description very much. Um, it helps kind of paint the picture of what we're looking at from a mega project perspective. So Dakota, when it comes to, it sounds like, again, mega massive communication, <laughs> massive coordination and execution plans. Um, when it comes to project management specifically, I can't imagine you were the only PM on the project, although Dakota, I'm sure you're more than capable of managing a mega no. project. From what from what I understand, mega projects are usually broken up into uh, different sections. Uh, it's, however, it's broken up. Um, can you talk a little bit about that division of work? Were there other project managers helping, and kind of what was your focus versus theirs? Yes, absolutely. Um, and that's actually a great question. I think it's so funny. Our team, we talk now about everything that we've gone over the last 19 months and like, do people understand maybe what we did? And I think the general (laughs) consensus is um, a lot of people don't know what we did and how our work was um, divided between our teams. Um, So we had a, what we call a building readiness team. And so that was everything construction related. So our vice president of construction planning and design, Eric Schilt, He had his team that worked on a lot of the construction aspects, medical equipment things that had to go into getting us physically into the space and ready to go. Um, So he had his team that he managed and he also, um, him and his team were the ones that interfaced with a lot of the contractors, subcontractors um, and different crews that we had on site for resolving things. And then we had um, on the flip side of that, what we call an operations team, which was what I was a part of. Um, So myself and two other official PMs were part of that operations team and then our boss. So within our team, our boss oversaw everything that the three of us project managers were responsible for. And then the three of us had our different divisions of work that we were ultimately responsible for. So Liz Berry, who is one of my coworkers, um, she had everything in what we call the base of the hospital. And just to hopefully help paint a picture, um, this hospital, it was about 17 stories is is what we say. So we have what we call the moat, which is underneath the hospital. It's where the base isolators sit. That's like the mechanics of of the building. So if we get into an earthquake um, and the big one actually comes, everything in the moat is what will keep us moving and flexible from a ground level and above. Got it. And then we have floors A through 
16 technically, although we have um, a 17th floor, which is more air handling and things like that. Got it. So the base structure was comprised of floors A through five. And that's because it was essentially the podium for the building. And then we have the towers. So Liz was responsible for the base, which had a lot of our ancillary and or diagnostic services. So adult OR, adult and pediatric EDs, our radiology department, nutritional services, where we had the cafeteria, kitchen, um, and things like that. And then I had the towers um, plus fifth floor of the base because it was an inpatient nursing unit. So floors five through 15 were my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Five, seven, eight, and nine on the children's side were um, children's inpatient units. So we had maternity services, acute care peds, I'm on two floors, and then adolescence and neurology. And then our adult inpatient units spanned from six through 15. And so it was comprised of five med surge and five critical care floors. So essentially, when we looked at division of labor, because inpatient nursing had um, a lot of the same leadership, although over different floors in the building, it made sense to assign one person to inpatient nursing because you're dealing with maybe three or four different directors or executive directors. Mm-hmm. And then for the base, there were probably 23 different departments um, that Liz had to work with between floors A through three, really. And fourth floor, um, I forgot to mention, it was our, it's our mechanical air exchange floor because it sits between our ORs on the third floor and on the fifth floor for the C-section suite. Um, So A through three had about 23 or so different departments that she was responsible for. And so when we looked at the three of us, Liz and I had everything in the new building, and my coworker Silvano Cardenas, he had everything that we were vacating mm. because it didn't mm. just stop with us getting into the new hospital. It was, right. what are we doing with the spaces that we're leaving? How are we going to decommission those areas? What does that look like? So removing pharmacy medications from Accudose machines, removing um, linens with our environmental services team from supply rooms, working with central supply to remove supplies that were maybe stocked on the nursing units that weren't going to be occupied anymore. And then focusing on, okay, we decommission, how do we lock it up? Do we lock it up? Mm -hmm. Are there paths of travel that we still need access to egress points? Um, And then what are we going to do with the spaces moving forward? So we each had our own separate marching orders from an operation standpoint. And we kind of just stayed in our lane as much Mm -hmm. as possible, but there was a lot of overlap. So the three of us had to be very, very tight together, communicate extremely well Because um, as I mentioned earlier in the workflow planning sessions, some of what we talked about was paths of travel for patients. So I would have to work with Liz if I had to discuss what will it look like future state for me to move a patient from the ED up to an ICU unit? Which Mm -hmm. elevators do we take? Who's responsible for patient transport and things like that? Um, So I think Although there were three of us and we had divisions of labor based on specific areas of responsibility, we also had to make sure that we relied on others to help us because again, it being a mega project and so much square footage um, to cover and really um, make sure that we were capitalizing our plans around, we 
I would be lying if I said that it was just the three of us or four of us. Um, right. We had help from, um, again, that program that I mentioned I had started in at Loma Linda in 2016. We had a lot of help from some of the residents and fellows that were oh, um, in their last program year, some of whom were nurses. Mm-hmm. So it was exceptional to have their feedback and insight yeah. into, you know, what worked for them when they were on the floor versus what we're work- moving towards. And then we had others who helped us get ready for licensing, who helped us conduct training of the staff, who were able to follow up with us um, and, and vendors to assist us. So although there were three official team members, we had probably five to six other people who consistently showed up and helped us, who consistently made themselves available. And mm-hmm. I think it was absolutely invaluable to us as a small team, to the project as a whole. And I wholeheartedly believe there is no way we would have been able to achieve what we did without the additional help. Oh yeah. I, I, I imagine, I imagine. So just (laughs) again, just from the scale of it, it just sounds so daunting that, um, you know, I think especially being a new project manager, for example, right. You're handed this size of a project. It can really be so daunting that it could just turn you off from wanting to do it at all. And I think we've seen that in our everyday lives as well, right? right? As uh, perhaps as students, when we get handed a a big, we know at the end of the syllabus, there's a 15 page paper that we have to write and we know it's coming. And it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's how you react to it. Do you take on the challenge or are you of the type that's like, eh, I think I'm just going to drop this course and go to a different one. But exactly. I think the way, I think the way you described it, I'm trying to correlate this to the, to an everyday life. And it's, I think it's somebody who is moving from one home to another. Yes. Nobody likes to move. It's, it's no. a pain. You have to pack, you have to make sure everything looks good in the house so that it can sell. And then you have to ensure all of your goods and things end up in your new home and are unpacked correctly, et cetera. Right. But times like 17, it sounds like from what you yes. described, because <laughs> this hospital is massive, 17 floors, different uh, areas of focus, mm-hmm. uh, different things that you have to consider. And I love that you talk about you also have to think about the building you're leaving and vacating and what is the purpose of that and what are we doing? Do we still need access to that? That's just, it it emphasizes how big this project really is and that you even needed somebody just to focus on that aspect of it. Whereas, you know, if you're buying and selling a home at some point, you know, you kind of like scrub your hands of the old, yeah, of the old property, you're in your new home, the new owner gets to deal with all that stuff. But in this situation, that's not the case. And so Dakota, when you think about like the, the structure of your team, Mm -hmm. um, do you think it was in your benefit that you had this amount of project managers? You know, a lot of people like to operate in small groups just because it's controllable and manageable, and Mm -hmm. you can really keep the focus with that type of group or that scale of a group, but there's other, you know, companies who want to hire 20 project managers and have Mm -hmm. vendors and consultants also helping along the way. Do you think, and some people think that's too many cooks in the kitchen or it helps kind of make each part of the project a little bit more consumable because you have so many people to divide the project amongst. So in your opinion, now having gone through your project, 
-hmm. Do you prefer one or the other? Is there an ideal structure that you would have wanted to see in place? I think looking back in retrospect um, and, and talking actually to some of the other companies that we worked with throughout the project, it's funny because they described our, our core team as <laughs> very lean, yeah. very, very lean, almost meat with no fat on it. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and then hearing from Yellow Brick, you know, their experience with some of the other hospitals that they've worked on and how there were so many project managers or project team members um, that assisted even with smaller scale transitions. I think that looking back, there are pros and cons. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we were able to stay as close knit as we were in terms of communication, always, you know, keeping one another up to date and understanding where we were at or even covering for one another if we needed to. Um, but I do think that there probably could have been advantages to having just a few more people. I think 20 would have been way too many cooks yeah. in the kitchen. Um, but even if we had another maybe two um, mm. individuals that were a part of like the true like core team, 100% dedicated to the project, I think that would have helped us, especially more towards the tail end of the project. Um, I know I mentioned the workflow planning sessions that I think it was okay having a smaller team, you know, having one person run point for um, workflows A through D that needed to be validated. I think that was totally fine. But as we hit the new year, we switched gears from planning into actually activation mode. So training staff, we had about 15,000 people that were required to be trained um, via e-learning or on-site. We had to coordinate with vendors to have individuals trained. Then we get to dress rehearsals with yellow brick and the prep that goes in the week before to put up signage. Um, you know, we have three of those and then prepping for licensing. I think, although we definitely had help, like I mentioned, and it was so invaluable, I think had we had maybe a couple of other individuals like dedicated resources, the three of us project managers probably could have each of us offloaded one or two of our departments um, to someone else, which would have helped us, I think, immensely. Um, working on a project like this, you, you start getting into a rhythm of hitting 12, 15 hour work days every mm. single day, five, yeah. six, seven days a week. So we were, I mean, for about four months or so, we were hitting 60, 65 hour work weeks every wow. single week. Yeah. And it takes a toll. <laughs> and so yeah. I think, um, you know, especially having so many departments that you're responsible for. And I think that one of the negatives, I think, of some of our personalities is that we are all type A. We are all type A. So it's like we, we have these departments that are assigned to us and we want to make sure that we succeed, that they succeed, that we get everything done, like down to like a hairline crack in drywall. We would point mm -hmm. those things out. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, having such a small team, but all filled with type A personalities, yeah. you know, I think having some balance there probably would have forced us um, to let go a little more and, and accept help, um, and, and realize we, we couldn't continue down that path had we not moved in on August 8th. 
if we right. were still looking at a move-in date two months from now, there's no way I think we would have made it. We would have been burnt out. Yes. Um, so I think it's good that we moved in when we did. I think there were benefits to having a small team at some points, but towards the end, I definitely think having, if we had had, you know, one or two more project managers in an official capacity, um, that probably would have helped a little bit. Yeah, it's it's the point of burnout that really the best of project managers will say, you just hit that I point. I can't do this, right? I can't do it. I need help. I'll take it. That's fine. Right. Go ahead. And there's this part of our process that I have always found interesting. And I, I have yet to find an example of where it's been done right. But again, I haven't been in the industry that long, so I'm sure it exists. But there's this gray area of... Uh, we launch or we, you know, you settle in from a, a executional standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's this gray area of the handoff to your operational team or your business as usual team. And it's that area that I think you bring up a, such a great point of, does it make sense at that point? This person does not have to have been on the project from the get-go, but do you then bring in like your your SWAT team to then start right. doing some of the things that the PMs that were on the executional side don't necessarily need to manage or have right. to manage, which is this whole aspect of onboarding, training, um, mm -hmm. making sure that the operations team is ready to take on what you have set up from your side of it for them to ultimately take on in the kind of in the uh, ongoing operations and, and daily operations of the business. Right. And that's the part where I, the way you describe it, that's the part where you say you were putting in so much more hours of work because mm -hmm. that's just on top of your day to day. Now you're having right. to manage what that transition looks like. And so very, very great depiction of what that often looks like for a lot of project managers. And it seems to be an area where um, I think people get so excited about the execution part of it, right? The planning and the execution part of a project that they forget there's this whole, you don't just leave the project and walk away in exactly. the same respect that you don't just leave the new home that you bought and you move some, I don't know, you live somewhere else. Right. Like you, There's going to be ongoing maintenance of your home at some point in time that you have to be ready for. And so right. um, I think that is a topic for a different podcast. It's I'm very passionate and interested in that area because it's, it just seems like such an, a great area for us as project managers. But um, Dakota, to wrap up kind of this, this mega project that we're talking about, right? I think you've done such a great job of illustrating what it is and kind of all the ways that you were able to coordinate all the people involved and what that effort level of effort looked like. Again, I just need to emphasize to our audience, this was all amidst COVID in the pandemic. So it's such mm -hmm. a, like, again, equally, like there's a lot more factors that you had to, to deal with here. So now that you've wrapped up the project, it sounds like, so the hospital's now open and operational, right? The, the new yes. wing of the hospital. So um, now that it's wrapped up though, what, what does that look like after you finish a mega project for a project manager? Do you swing right into the next mega project or what does that look like for you, Dakota? <laughs> Great question. Um, I can answer that a few different ways. I think that professionally, um, our team is 
maybe a bit of an anomaly. Um, so we all are Loma Linda employees. So we, we do have that level of comfort in that we, we still have a job to, mm-hmm. to come to. Right. Um, however, the, the difference maybe between our team, although internal resources per se, versus maybe external resources that we've worked with. So a yellow brick or Mm -hmm. um, some of maybe the other subcontracting companies that we've used from a building readiness perspective. I think a lot of our external resources, they have the next project that they're moving to, be it a mega project or smaller smaller scale or, or multiple different things. Our team though, however, when we all applied, we were individually told that at some point, because we would open, because we would move past the post-move stabilization period, um, we would have to essentially dissolve our team, right? So yes, we, we will still have a place for you here, but the campus transformation project team, as you know, it will not exist indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us, um, Post move, we have we've switched gears um, to focus more on repurposing now the spaces that we've vacated. What okay. services are we going to bring in that are in compliance space for the building as it is built currently? So um, we can't have outpatients in a number of areas just because of again those earthquake seismic requirements for the state of California. So we can have inpatient services in some areas. So what does that look like? So we're we're working through that and space planning, but we also are transitioning to um, other departments. You know, mm-hmm. so some of us will stay on and assist with space planning for a little bit. Others will move on to maybe a completely different role at Loma Linda. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're kind of in that gray area, like literally today we are figuring it out. I mean, I don't know that there's a definitive roadmap for where our team will all end up a month from now, three weeks from now. Um, right now, we're, we're still reporting to our same boss, focusing on repurposing, but we are having, you know, conversations about what's next and mm-hmm. where we go from here, um, but also what happens with the work that still has to be done. So there's a lot of uncertainty which again, for us being type A's is very unsettling. <laughs> yes. We're like, oh my goodness, I just want to know what's happening, what's next, where am I going to be next week, next month, two months from now? Um, and so it's been challenging professionally and personally to, I think, wrap my mind around, I'll, I'll speak for myself, um, but to wrap my mind around what is my purpose now? Because for sure. the last 19 months, it was nonstop getting into the new building. That's our goal. Like literally nonstop. We would have dreams about work when we weren't at work. (laughs) So shifting gears from running full steam ahead, almost like a Hail Mary for so long. And now it's kind of like someone has just like pumped the brakes and it's like, wait, wait a second. You're not as busy every day. You, (laughs) You don't know what you'll be asked to do next week or where you'll end up next month. So I think I wish I had a better answer. Um, I just think that for us, maybe because we're in a bit of a, in in, in between, between maybe what typically happens with resources from an internal perspective versus Mm -hmm. external resources, 
were kind of like that murky gray, like swamp water middle ground. Um, so it, it, it's challenging. Um, it's exciting because you don't know what's next, but it yeah. is, it requires a lot of, I think, patience and yeah. daily practice of patience and I think mindfulness almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just kind of where I'm at. I think where my coworkers are at, it's just, you know, what's next. Well, thank you for sharing those feelings. And and we, it, the, your timing couldn't be more perfect to talk about that because I just released our newest podcast where we talk yes. about post-project <laughs> blues, post-project depression, and it's a real thing. It's really, a, yes. and I imagine in the, the way you've described that you invested heart, soul, like your entire days times mm-hmm. 10 into this project that when it just kind of cuts and you're done, which, you know, as project managers, you have to have a personality that is okay with a project has to have a definitive start and end at some point in time. Yes. And it's, it's that feeling after you complete the project, you're excited because you're done, you, you accomplished your milestone, but then you're like, now what? And I think, uh, you know, that's very relevant to across all project managers, I would envision, um, unless you're in some sort of cycle of you're continually working on projects, which I also think can also lead to depression because you're always burning yourself out or you're constantly working in that pace. So we all, I I sympathize with you, Dakota, but I think at the same time, we are, our community understands what you're going through and hopefully there is a, something that you can, you can see it from a positive perspective, which I think you have, right. In terms of uh, a lot of people like to embrace that they also don't know what's next and that right. you can kind of create what's next for yourself. And so the beauty of uh, where you're kind of stuck in this murky gray area is the fact that it's so ambiguous that hopefully right. you come out of it with something that you really are passionate about, whether it's the next mega project or whatever, whatever that has a little has bit of time until the, yeah. the next project. <laughs> yeah. I, I have yet to meet someone who's done mega project after mega project, but you know, I'm sure they exist as well. Um, but the, the fact that you were able to now say, I'm Dakota White, I've worked on a mega project. This is the scale of what we did. This is what I accomplished. Yeah. That to me is incredible. I am in awe and inspired by your experience. And I think, yeah. especially as a, somebody who is newer to the community right. of project management, that just speaks volumes to what you can do in the future. And so whatever that may be, I know right now it doesn't seem like there's a clear <laughs> picture. I, I just am excited to follow your journey across your Thank career. You. So um, I, I, congratulations on accomplishing such a big project. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and, and your feelings about, you know, kind of post project now what's next. And I'm excited if, uh, to have you back on the podcast, because there's clearly Absolutely. a lot of topics that, that, uh, came out of this that are really like setting a fire in my head in terms of what I want to talk about here. But Dakota, it's been a pleasure to have you on just to hear your experiences and to for you to share them with our community. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You did wonderful, by the way. Dakota was like, I don't know about this, but I think you did way better. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for joining me. If if people want to continue the conversation with you, they want to hear more about your experience on the mega project, they are invested in wanting to do it themselves maybe one day. Where can they find you online? 
LinkedIn, I have, um, that's probably the best way to reach me. Um, first name Dakota, last name White. Um, I have recently kind of taken a break from social media, so I do not have my Facebook account active right now, but LinkedIn would definitely be the best way to, to reach out. I think, and it's, it's the best. And uh, from what I heard this morning, the most secure way to reach out to people yes. at this point. So <laughs> very, you can, you guys can also find me on LinkedIn as well. If you want to continue the conversation about the everyday PM, um, you can also support the everyday PM podcast, whether you're listening to it through anchor or one of your podcasting platforms like Apple podcasts, Google play Spotify, please leave us a five-star thumbs up, whatever it takes to give us a great, fantastic mm -hmm. review. Um, you can also watch the visual version of the podcast on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash and Campia. And that will do it for Dakota and I, as we talked about mega projects, I learned so much from you today. I'm so excited to hear what's next for you, Dakota. Thank you, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it for everybody listening. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any comments to share or any feedback, please feel free to drop us a line. So that will do it for Dakota and I today on the Everyday PM podcast. Until next time, take care. <laughs>